Good morning. God is interested in the freedom of the whole human race. The words of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963 in Detroit, Michigan, 50 years ago this year. God is interested in the freedom of the whole human race. So in that spirit, I wish you a blessed MLK weekend and welcome you to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, whether you are here with us in person or online. I am Reverend Aaron Walter, your interim minister for joy and justice, one of three ministers serving the church. I missed you while I was out on study leave and vacation in December, so I'm so glad to be back for this service. First UU is a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I especially want to welcome you if you are new. If you're here with us on the live stream, would you please say hello in the comments? Let us know where you're viewing from. And maybe how long you've been coming here, if you're new, how you found us. We want to get to know you. We come from a long tradition of seeing the spark of the divine in every person. That means we are interested in the freedom of the whole human race. So I invite you now to greet each other online or in person, the spark of divine among us. Now, in activism, we say we pass the mic when we have a platform to speak and we want to amplify other voices. So we pass the mic. And today it is my honor to pass the mic in worship to Alex Capitan, co-founder of the Transforming Hearts Collective, a national Unitarian Universalist organization that supports spaces for LGBTQ people to access resilience, healing, and spirituality, and to resource our faith communities and other groups for the work of radical inclusion and culture shift. We're going to be talking about some of that today. Transforming Hearts is led by two renowned UU religious professionals, one white, one black, and their curriculum, Transgender Inclusion in Congregations, addresses not just trans inclusion, but the big dream of seeking Dr. King's fully liberated, multiracial, beloved community. That's part of the reason we're reflecting on trans inclusion today as part of our MLK service, as part of a time that is grounded in civil rights and racial justice at its core. We know that black lives matter, and that means black trans lives matter. We are here in this church for gender and reproductive justice and bodily autonomy, so we affirm that black trans women and non-binary people matter. We are talking about it today because the Texas legislature returned last week. (laughs) An exhale. Sometimes we laugh to let go of some feelings that are hard. And there is real fear and real risk among our trans-inclusive families and our friends in this state at this time. So we come together today to nourish ourselves. We come together today from different places of understanding about the spectrum of gender and many things in a hopes of finding a common spiritual ground in our search for truth and meaning and compassion and human relations. 
One technical note, when you hear Alex mention the Texas UU Justice Ministry, that's our state action network, Um, our church is a member, Alex is talking about the fact that the Justice Ministry got grants from your sibling congregation, Live Oak UU, and from uh, the entire coalition of North Texas UU congregations to fund the six-week trans inclusion course free for all Texas UU churches. So we're joining our UU siblings, First UU San Antonio, San Marcos, Northwoods in Spring, Bay Area UU in Houston, San Gabriel in Georgetown, Wildflower in Austin, and many others. However, your wonderful director of religious education, Kelly Stokes, was ahead of the curve and had already purchased the program for this church. We were one of only four churches that already had it in our religious education curriculum. So when you hear Alex thank Texujim, I want you to also be thinking, thank you, Kelly Stokes. And now I pass the mic to Alex Capitan. Good morning. I'm so delighted to be with you all today. And I'm so grateful to Texas UU Justice Ministry for the invitation to be part of this special worship service. Here in this time, when we are creating sacred space together, when we are gathering from different physical, spiritual, emotional, and ancestral locations, it feels important to locate myself and invite you to reflect on your location as well. I'm joining you today from my home near the Great Falls. I live where the river the Abenaki peoples call Quinitagak, or Long River, meets the Mohawk Trail, in the place called Peskiamskit by the Pecumtuck Nation, and Greenfield, Massachusetts, by white settlers. It's not far from the invisible corner where Massachusetts, Vermont, and New Hampshire meet. My ancestors have lived in this river valley, and in eastern Massachusetts, and in Wisconsin farmland, and in the steel mills of Ohio, and before that, Germany, Hungary, and England. Their names were Capitania, Bergdorf, Daniel, Pierce, orange. I come from preachers and farmers and engineers and artists and teachers. I have other ancestors who have made it possible for me to be here today, too. As a queer and genderqueer person, I would not be here without generations of people before me who resisted oppressive norms of gender and sexuality and imagined a different reality into being. Feinberg, Murray, Roberts, Kramer, Ginsburg. I also follow in the path of white anti-racism organizers, activists, and teachers. Braden, Liuzo, Reeb, Woolman, Kelly Foster. As we gather together today, center ourselves and pause to become fully present in this space this morning, I want to invite you to join me in calling your ancestors into this place those who forged a path that has made your life possible. As I light our chalice this morning, symbol of our Unitarian Universalist faith, bring these ancestors of yours into your mind and into your heart.
Thank you for that. Feel the power of all those souls that have brought each of us to this place. We are part of a larger fabric, held in a larger web and purpose. Let us worship together. Good morning. I'm Tomas Medina, and I will be your lay leader today, and I'm very excited to be here. Um, also, I want to, um, in the tradition of passing the mic, thank Liz Nielsen, who is going to be your lay leader today, but she uh, swapped with me so that I'd have the opportunity to reflect on an experience I had when I was a lay leader two weeks ago. So thank you, Liz. Our call to worship today is by the Reverend Ade Kraba who is a black UU minister and spiritual director who serves the San Marcos UU Fellowship and the UUs of New Braunfels. Uh, also, she facilitated the BIPOC listening circle that I was lucky enough to be a part of uh, last fall. And we are excited that she will be our worship leader here on February 18th. Her writing is called To Remember. Spirit of life, we have come here today to remember what some are intent on making us forget. To remember a man who fought to end segregation. To remember a man who marched to counter prejudice and oppression. To remember a man who was filled with peace and hope. To remember a man with promise and a dream. To remember a man with a voice that rang out for justice and freedom. All these things we remember and honor and the legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and a life lived well in service to all. May it be so. Together, each Sunday, we affirm the mission of this congregation, which was written and is lived out every day by you, by us, the people. Will you read it with me? Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Is being white, straight, and cisgender the norm, and being everything else a deviation from the norm? We've gotten into the habit here at First UU of introducing our readings by giving a little bit of background on the authors. As far as I know, this practice was started a few years ago when a lay leader who is a member of the BIPOC community took it upon herself to do a little research on the authors of the readings she would be doing. She, 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 she shared some of her research with the congregation before the reading. The woman told me the reason she did this was because she thought it was important that the congregation know the perspectives of the writers of the readings. I understand from our ministers that this is an increasingly common practice in UU worship. In the last few months at First UU, it has brought me a lot of joy that many of our readings have been from writers whose communities have voices that have not often been centered, i.e. trans voices, queer voices, voices of members of the BIPOC community. But I was faced with a quandary when, a couple of weeks ago, I served as a lay leader for the first time in years, and I needed to come up with introductions of the authors of our readings. All I could find was that they were women one of them had European heritage, and the other had a Palestinian father and an American mother. 
I could find no mention as to whether they were straight, identified with the gender they were assigned at birth, or identified as members of the BIPOC community. So I thought the safe thing to do would be to not mention these identities at all and do the best I could with identifying information I had. But does Unitarian Universalism call us to do the safe thing or transform lives and do justice, things that can be uncomfortable along the way? I thought to myself, wait, when a writer identifies as a person of color, we mention that. If a writer identifies as queer, we mention that. If someone identifies as trans, we mention that. When we can't find anything about these identities, we correctly make no assumptions. Problem is, when someone identifies as white, straight, and or cisgendered, there's often nothing about these identities in their bios or on their Wikipedia page. And that is the crux of, our, of the problem. Since we can't confirm these identities, we often say nothing. But if we only talk about, about identities when someone is not white, not straight, and not cis, then we're being complicit in the assumption that someone is right, straight, and cis, unless stated otherwise. I don't want to be, and I don't want my church to be, complicit in perpetuating these identities as the norm. I've been reflecting on this and discussing it with our ministers, and as far as I can tell, there are three potential solutions to this problem. One is to explicitly state unknown when we don't know these identities. Another is only to do readings by folks for whom we know these identities so that we can explicitly state them including when they're white, cis, and or straight. And finally, my preferred solution, continue to center voices from people who identify as trans, queer, black, indigenous, or other people of color. This is important for many reasons. One, when those of us who are members of traditionally silenced communities hear our voices, it helps make us feel safe and welcome. Two, all of our souls need the nourishment that comes from listening to voices of folks that are different from us. And three, it reminds us that to do true justice work, we need to proactively ensure that we're listening to all voices to understand what they want and need from us. I share this experience with you, my church community, not to ask that next time you introduce someone, you identify their sexual orientation, gender identity, racial identity, physical abilities, age, etc. Instead, I invite you to be on the lookout for how, without intending it, intending it you, may be, you, may bar, you may be participating in behavior that perpetuates the harmful assumption that some folks are the norm and others the deviants. And then, when you have identified such behavior, I further invite you to think about what actions you will take to disrupt these practices. Your disruptions will help transform not only your life, but the lives of others. Now begins our time of prayer and meditation, where we amplify our joys first from the poet Baggy Smith in her book, Keep Moving. Do not turn away joy, even if it arrives at an inconvenient time, even if you think you should be grieving, even if you think it's too soon. Joy is always on time. And we have sorrows, and we have grief. So I invite you to connect to the holy as you understand the holy, your ancestors as Alex Capitan invited you, 
or the sacred stillness. Our dear friend of many names, whose greatest gifts are love and justice, we hold in prayer a father facing surgery after a heart attack. We pray for healing and offer gratitude to those who support us in our healing. We pray for those who are experiencing still isolation and estrangement, for ancestors we miss, for families who are grieving, including our own real family who have lost two sons to cancer in the past few months, for those in the job hunt can be such a long and soul-challenging experience, we pray for you good news. For those grieving after overdoses or suicides from loved ones, for those who are seeking healing from their own struggles, who are on a path that needs support, we offer our support. For one who is waiting on an organ transplant, for all of us in transition. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be. In this time, we offer you our candle walls to light candles for your own joys and sorrows and the prayers of your heart. Now is that time. Your prayers be heard. In the spirit of Tomas's reflection, I'll introduce myself again. 
I'm the Reverend Erin Walter, and I am a cisgender, straight, white woman serving as your interim minister for joy and justice. And before I pass the mic back to my friend and colleague, Alex Capitan, I want to let you know a bit about why this trans inclusion and collective liberation work is so essential to our congregation, not just because we're in the capital of Texas, but because it is essential to our interim ministry process. So I want to tell you a little bit about that. It's not just that our Attorney General Ken Paxton ordered the Texas Department of Public Safety to compile a list of individuals who had changed their gender on their state IDs in the last two years and then leaked that information to the Washington Post. It's not just that the Department of Family and Protective Services has spent the last year investigating trans-inclusive families instead of trusting Texas youth, their parents, their doctors, and counselors to make decisions for their own lives, as we wish to do for our own lives. It's not just that people are leaving Texas and therefore leaving our church. We have lost people, families who are afraid, rightfully. We miss them so much. And it's not just that trans welcome includes all of us and makes church more welcoming and inclusive for all of us. It's part of the interim process for a couple of reasons. When this church needed to find an interim minister, the search did not work out twice before Reverend John Alou and I came to be half-time and half-time and drive in from Bastrop and come in uh, one week a month from Oklahoma to make it work. And I know from talking to the transitions office at the UUA that one of the factors is that many UU ministers are trans or have trans spouses or non-binary spouses or trans or non-binary kids, and they would not want to move here to work. The same is true for when you go into search. Many of the leaders of our movement are trans or non-binary, their partners are or their kids are, and they are amazing and fierce ministers, and we would be blessed to have any of them as our senior or new assistant or associate, depending on how this all goes. And it's a real challenge in a time coming out of the pandemic where we have a minister shortage. And so to do this faithful work, to have a significant portion of our congregation participate in a trans inclusion program will say a lot when the ministers look at the congregational search packets. It's important on a lot of levels. And I just want to say, if you know someone who didn't come to church today, I hope you'll encourage them to watch this service recorded online especially if they weren't quite sure if this topic was for them. I also want to say that I led the youth listening circle. And if we have even a prayer of continuing as a faith, as a church for generations to come, we are going to listen to our young people, many of whom are trans and non-binary, and welcome them in the ways that they ask to be welcomed. It is a chance now for us to practice the spiritual concept of humility and listen. 
And I'll share with you before um, Alex takes over the words of Carla Siebert, your UU sibling in the Bay Area UU Church of Houston, who wrote this about the profound impact, she said, that even the first session of the Trans Inclusion Program had on her and her group at Bay Area UU. She says, beloved community sounded like a nice ideal when I first heard of it a few years ago, but it really was just a buzzword to me until Alex and Michael explained what it was and what it wasn't. I believe many in my group felt belonging last night as we understood and discussed how radical the idea of beloved community is. If, as a straight, white, upper, middle-class, cis female, I have struggled to feel belonging in several spaces I frequent, I can only imagine what the struggle and pain can be like for BIPOC, disabled, poor, LGBTQIA, and in particular, trans people. I want everyone to experience beloved community. And yet, Alex and Michael also remind us that beloved community is not devoid of conflict and promise to help us learn to experience our conflicts and beloved community at the same time. She says, I'm so excited to learn. Experiencing conflicts and beloved community at the same time is interim ministry. It is the work of building this church, and it is exciting. And so I turn it back to Alex Capitan to tell you more. Hello again, everyone. Thank you again so much for welcoming me into your sanctuary and for the gift of getting to share this space this morning. I've been a UU for more than 30 years, ever since my parents joined a UU church in a suburb of Milwaukee when I was six. My dad is the son and grandson of Presbyterian ministers, and my mom was raised a devout atheist in small town Wisconsin. The family joke is that when they became UU, my dad's family all said, oh no, he's lost religion. And my mom's family all said, oh no, she's found religion. <laughs> Which I think says a lot about our quirky little faith, right? I'm so grateful my parents joined my home church. It was a wonderful place to grow up. I gained an open-hearted curiosity about all the different religious paths and truths that people hold. I was taught to honor my own truth, even or especially when that truth was different than what was expected. I internalized the idea that living our faith meant working to make the world a better place and fighting for those who are oppressed. And as a queer and trans person, I was able to grow up without any sense that these deep truths about myself were at odds with my faith. Because they weren't. My queer trans, stubborn as heck, teenage self was saved by Unitarian Universalism. As UU youth, we radicalized each other, exploring who we could be if we helped each other actively resist racism, heterosexism, and other oppressions. We created worship together in ways that were embodied and truly helped me feel the power of unconditional love. It was magic. In fact, I credit being raised UU to a large degree with my ability to be the person I am today, my full, authentic, queer, genderqueer, genderfluid, flamboyantly masculine and feminine all at one time, neither here nor there, Mary Martin as Peter Pan, bow tie flashing, motorcycle riding, roller derby playing, femme boy self. 
And yet, even though I was raised here in Unitarian Universalism, even though this religion has given me so much, I have never found a congregational home. You see, not actively making it harder for me to be myself in the world was not enough for me to feel a sense of unconditional welcome and belonging in my church as I grew into adulthood. Nor have I ever felt that way in any of the dozens of UU churches I've been to since. I've never found a UU congregation where I felt like my lived experience of Unitarian Universalism as a queer, trans, raised UU was reflected and honored. I am one of the 72% of trans UUs who do not feel as though Unitarian Universalist congregations are fully inclusive of us. 72%. My chosen family, my closest loved ones, include disabled trans people, trans people of color, and working class trans people. Only 20% of disabled trans people feel fully included in our congregations. Only 15% of trans UUs of color feel fully included. Only 11% of the most financially vulnerable trans people feel fully included. And this is no small thing because trans people and trans UUs are more likely to be disabled, people of color, and low income. My friends, my heart is heavy because I don't just want to find a home myself. I want Unitarian Universalism to be the saving power in my people's lives that I know it can be. I want to be able to tell Black trans women and struggling queer young adults and LGBTQ refugees and asylum seekers and the precious trans and non-binary children and youth who are being targeted by horrific anti-trans legislation right now and their families that they can go to their local UU congregation in person or online and find healing and strength and resilience to keep up the fight for survival in a culture that is trying to annihilate them. But I can't because I can't trust that their local UU congregation will even be safe for them, much less a place of resilience. Can you hold this heaviness with me? Whenever I share my story about how I've never found a home in Unitarian Universalism, there are always a lot of people listening who think, that's just because you haven't tried our church yet. So, if that's you, I see you. And I believe that this congregation, this wonderful community, deeply wants to be a place where I and my chosen family feel welcome. Am I right? I wouldn't be here talking to you today if that weren't true. But I need you to help me hold my heavy heart at the fact that for the entire 30 plus years that I've been a UU, Unitarian Universalism has told the world and has told me that LGBTQ people are welcome here. But that entire time, I have experienced that welcome as conditional. My whole life, I've known that I could attend any UU congregation and not be actively rejected as long as I wore certain clothes 
and said certain things and acted in a certain way. I've known that because I'm white and college-educated and able-bodied, I can appear to fit in in a way that many of my people can't. I've known that because of this, people would be friendly to me. But that's not the welcome I need. I need a welcome that isn't conditional. I need a welcome that goes beyond friendliness, goes beyond tolerance or acceptance. I need a welcome that's celebratory, a welcome that transforms hearts, yours and mine. And here's the thing. I know I'm not the only one here who is yearning for this sort of welcome. I know I'm not the only one here who has felt the saving power of Unitarian Universalism to transform hearts, remind us of our interconnectedness, and support us in loving one another across lines of difference. I know I'm not the only one here who has felt the need to leave certain parts of yourself behind, who has felt pressured to look or talk or act in ways that make you appear to fit in, in order to feel welcome here. You see, I'm not just in the ministry of welcome for myself and my chosen family. I'm in it for you, all of you. Because I know that in order to survive this world, this dominant U.S. culture of division and intolerance and violence and environmental destruction, we need spaces like this one to be more than simply friendly. We need spaces like this one to be places where we can unlearn the judgments and assumptions and biases that have soaked into us from the outside world and practice healing the divisions that are tearing our communities and our world and our very souls apart. My Unitarian Universalism is not a community where we are all the same and we get to relax on Sunday knowing that everyone else is just like us here, a collection of all the good ones who have all the answers. My Unitarian Universalism is a community where we are all different, and we take joy in learning about each other and sharing in our different ways of making meaning, and we care for one another and one another's people, and we never stop asking questions. My Unitarian Universalism is a community where none of us feel like we have to leave any parts of ourselves behind. This is why my best friend, Reverend Michael Slack, and I created the program that this congregation has access to thanks to Texas UU Justice Ministry. Texujim has sought out funding to help purchase this program for you and every other congregation in Texas. The program is called Trans Inclusion in Congregations, but it's about so much more than trans inclusion. For years, as trans UU leaders, Michael and I were asked to come teach UU congregations about trans people. People wanted to understand all the vocabulary. They wanted to learn what the right things to say were. They wanted to feel a sense of mastery over this new, unfamiliar terrain for them. And we got really tired. Because although as educators we love helping people understand things, going around doing trans 101 trainings wasn't changing the things that keep us from finding a UU home. It was helping a lot of people feel like they intellectually understood trans people, but they still joyously sang songs about brothers and sisters. 
and continued to misgender and use the wrong pronouns for every single youth who came out as trans or non-binary within the congregation and didn't make any changes to their women's group or their annual men's retreat. Their welcome was still conditional on trans UUs looking a certain way, speaking a certain way, acting a certain way, and honestly being willing to betray parts of ourselves in order to fit in. So we created a program that helps people really engage with the depth of what's required if we're serious about welcome. It takes you on a journey, starting with the theological grounding for welcome, our denomination and this congregation's gender history, and your own experiences of gender. We offer expansive frameworks for how to understand gender and sexuality, talk about the lived experiences of trans people of many different races, abilities, ages, classes, and sexualities, and discuss trans spirituality. The program ends with a conversation about culture and the difference between understanding welcome as a superficial friendliness and understanding welcome as a spiritual practice and an invitation to transform your heart and about how to shift the culture of your congregation to be radically welcoming to all who are currently here and all who want to be here. I hope that if you haven't engaged with the program yet, you will, and that it helps you live into what it means to be a welcoming congregation in this moment. The program has six sessions, each of which includes a pre-recorded lecture from me and Michael, resources to take things deeper, and reflection and discussion questions. You can take it as an individual anytime, or you can experience it as a group, which is what we recommend. Go to txuujm.org for more info. This is one of those moments where UU congregations have a vital choice to make. Trans people are being actively targeted by lawmakers and other leaders throughout Texas and in many other states. And although there is fierce resistance and incredible organizing taking place, there are a lot of trans people particularly young trans folk, as well as their families, who are in deep need right now of safe, affirming, celebratory spaces where they can access healing and resilience and care. We can't be that sort of space simply by putting out a rainbow flag or saying that we are welcoming. We have to actively practice our welcome by being willing to stretch and change and grow. If it doesn't sit right with you, that despite all your best intentions and all your best efforts so far, there are people who don't feel fully welcome here, people among you right now and people like me and mine, the question is, what are you willing to do about it? What are you willing to do in order for that to change? How can you resist the urge to already have all the answers and be willing to ask more questions, try new things, and transform your heart? You see, being a welcoming congregation is not a static identity any more than being an ally is. It's not a sign you can put up or a box you can check or a statement you can make that means every LGBTQ person coming into your virtual or physical space will feel welcome. Because being a welcoming congregation isn't something you are. It's something you do. Because welcome is a verb. It's an action. It's a spiritual practice. So 
I hope I can count on you to join me in this practice because it is truly one of the most holy, heart-transforming, and world-changing things that we can do together. Amen. Ashe. Aho. And blessed be. I invite you to say the words that we use to extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Our closing words today are called Prayer for Living Intention by Reverend Joe Cherry. If we have any hope of transforming the world and changing ourselves, we must be bold enough to step into our discomfort, brave enough to be clumsy there, loving enough to forgive ourselves and others. May we, as a people of faith, be granted the strength to be so bold, so brave, and so loving. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.